Section 21 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 2, Jewish Heroes and Prophets, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Judas Maccabeus, Part 2. King Antiochus now saw that the subjection of this valiant Jew was no easy matter, and filled with wrath and vengeance, he gathered together all the forces of his kingdom, opened his treasury, paid his soldiers a year in advance, and resolved to root out the rebellious nation by a war of extermination. Crippled, however, in resources and in great need of money, he concluded to go in person to Persia and collect tribute from the various provinces, and seize the treasures which were supposed to be deposited in royal cities beyond the Euphrates. He left behind, as regent or lieutenant, Lysias, a man of royal descent, with orders to prosecute the war against the Jews with the utmost severity, while, with half his forces, he proceeded in person to Persia. Lysias chose Ptolemy, Nicanor, and Georgias, experienced generals, to conduct the war with 40,000 foot and 7,000 horsemen, besides elephants, with orders to exterminate the rebels, take possessions of their lands, and settle heathen aliens in their place. So confident were these generals of success that merchants accompanied the army with gold and silver to purchase the Jews from the conquerors, and fetters in which to make them slaves. A large force from the land of the Philistines also joined the attacking army. Jerusalem at this time was a forsaken city, uninhabited like a wilderness. The sanctuary was trodden down, and heathen foreigners occupied the citadel on Mount Zion. It was a time of general mourning and desolation, and the sound of the harp and the pipe ceased throughout the land. But Judas was not discouraged, and the warriors with him were bent upon redeeming the land from desolation. They, however, put on sackcloth and prayed to the God of their fathers, and made every effort to rally their forces, feeling that it was better to die in battle than see the pollution of the sanctuary and the evils which overspread the land. Judas succeeded in collecting altogether three thousand men, who, however, were poorly armed, and entrenched himself among the mountains about twenty miles from Jerusalem. Learning this, Georgius took five thousand men, one thousand horsemen, under guides from the castle on Mount Zion, and departed from his camp at Emmaus by night, with a view of surprising and capturing the Jewish force. But Judas was on the alert, and obtained information of the intended attack. So he broke up his own camp, and resolved to attack the main force of the enemy, weakened by the absence of Georgius and his chosen band. After reminding his soldiers of God's mercies in times of old, he ordered the trumpets to sound, and unexpectedly rushed upon the unsuspecting and unprepared Syrians, totally routed them, pursued them as far as to the plains of Idumea, killed about three thousand men, took immense spoil, gold and silver, purple garments and military weapons, and returned in triumph to the forsaken camp, singing songs and blessing heaven for the great victory. Many of the Syrians that escaped came and told Lysias all that had happened, and he, on hearing it, was confounded and discouraged. But in the year following he collected an army of sixty thousand chosen footmen and five thousand horsemen to renew the attack, and marched to the Idumean border. Here Judas met him at Bethshura, near to Jerusalem, with ten thousand men, now inspired by victory, and again defeated the Syrian forces, with a loss to the enemy of five thousand men. Lysias, who commanded this army in person, returned to Antioch and made preparations to raise a still greater force, while the victorious Jews took possession of the capital. Judas now had leisure to cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. When his army saw the desolation of their holy city, trees growing in the very courts of the temple as in a forest, the altars profaned, the gates burned, they were filled with grief and rent their garments and cried aloud to heaven. 
but judas proceeded with his sacred work pulled down the defiled altar of burnt sacrifice and rebuilt it cleansed the sanctuary hallowed the desecrated courts made new holy vessels decked the front of the temple with crowns and shields of gold and restored the gates and chambers judas also fortified the temple with high walls and towers and placed in it a strong garrison for the syrians still hold possession of the tower a strong fortress near the mount of the temple when all was cleansed and renewed a solemn service of reconsecration was celebrated the sacred fire was kindled afresh on the altar thousands of lamps were lighted the sacrifices were offered the people thronged the courts of jehovah and with psalms of praise festive dances harps lutes and cymbals made a joyful noise unto the lord this triumphant restoration was celebrated three years to the very day from the day of desecration it was forever after as long as the temple stood held a sacred yearly festival called the feast of the dedication or sometimes from its peculiar ceremonies the feast of lights the successes of judas and the restoration of the temple worship inflamed with renewed anger the heathen population of the countries in the near vicinity of judea and there seems to have been a general confederacy of idumeans descendants of esau with sundry of the bedouin tribes and of the heathen settled east of the jordan in the land of gilead and of the phoenicians and heathen strangers in galilee to recover what the syrians had lost and to restore idol worship judas now had an army of eleven thousand men which he divided between himself and his brother simon and they marched in different directions to the attack of their numerous enemies they were both eminently successful gaining bloody battles capturing cities and fortresses taking immense spoils mingling the sound of trumpets with prayers to almighty god heroes as religious as they were brave an unexampled band of warriors rivaling joshua saul and david in the brilliancy of their victories all the jews who remained true to their faith in the districts which he overran and desolated judas brought back with him to jerusalem for greater safety only one misfortune sullied the glory of these exploits judas had left behind him at jerusalem when he and simon went forth to fight the idolaters a garrison of two thousand men under the command of joseph and azarias leaders of the people with the strict command to remain in the city until he should return but these popular leaders dazzled by the victories of judas and simon and wishing to earn a fame like theirs issued from their stronghold with two thousand men to attack Gemnia, and were met by georges the syrian general and completely annihilated a just punishment for military disobedience the loss of two thousand men was a calamity but judas pursued his victories finally turning against the philistines who at this point disappear from sacred history in the meantime king antiochus who as already stated had gone on a plundering expedition to persia was defeated in the attempt and returned in great grief and disappointment to ecbatana here he heard that his armies under lysias had been disgracefully beaten and that judea was in a fair way to achieve its independence under the heroic judas and worse still that all the pagan temples and altars which he had set up in jerusalem were removed and destroyed this especially filled him with rage for he was a fanatic in his religion and utterly detested the monotheism of the jews so oppressed with grief was this heathen persecutor that he took to his bed and in addition to his humiliation he was afflicted with a loathsome disease called elephantiasis so that he was avoided and neglected by his own servants he now saw that he must die and calling for his friend philip made him regent of his kingdom during the minority of his son whom he had left at antioch the jews were thus delivered from the worst enemy that had afflicted them since the babylonian captivity 
neither assyrians nor egyptians nor persians had so ruthlessly swept away religious institutions those conquerors were contented with conquest and its political results namely the enslavement and spoliation of the people they did not pollute the sacred places like the syrian persecutor by the rivers of babylon the jews had sat down and wept when they remembered zion but their sad wailing was over the fact that they were captives in a strange land ground down to the dust by antiochus however they bewailed not only their external misfortunes but far more bitterly the desecration of their sanctuary and the attempt to root out the religion which was their life the death of antiochus epiphanes was therefore a great relief and rejoicing to the struggling jews he left his heir to his throne a boy nine years of age but though he had made his friend philip guardian of his son and regent of his kingdom his lieutenant at antioch lysias also claimed the guardianship and the regency these rival claims of course led to civil wars between lysias and philip in consequence of which the jews were comparatively unmolested and had leisure to organize their forces fortify their strongholds and prepare for complete independence among other things judas maccabeus attacked the citadel or tower on mount zion overlooking the temple in which a large garrison of the enemy had long been stationed and which was a perpetual menace the attack or siege of this strong fortress alarmed the heathen who made complaint to the young king called eupiter or more probably to the regent lysias who sent an overwhelming army into judea consisting of one hundred thousand foot twenty thousand horse and thirty-two elephants but judas did not hesitate to give battle to this great force and again gained a victory it was won however at the expense of his brother eleazar seeing one of the elephants armed with royal armor he supposed that it carried the king himself and heroically forcing his way through the ranks of the enemy he slipped under the elephant and gave the beast a mortal wound so that it fell to the ground crushing to death the courageous maccabeus for the brothers of judas worthy compatriots and fellow-soldiers with him were also called by his special name and although the family name was asmon they are famous as the maccabees this battle however was not decisive lysias advanced to jerusalem and laid siege to it but hearing that philip had succeeded in gaining authority at antioch he made peace with judas and hastily returned to his capital where he found philip master of the city although he recovered his capital it was only for a short time since demetrius son of seleucus who had been sojourning at rome returned to the palace of his ancestors and slaying both lysias and the young king reigned in their stead with this king the jews were soon involved in war evil-minded men hostile to judas for in such unsettled times treachery was everywhere went to antioch with their complaints headed by alcimus who wished to be the high priest and inflamed the anger of king demetrius the new monarch sent one of his ablest generals called bacchides with an army to chastise the jews and reinstate alcimus who had been ejected from his high office this wicked high priest overran the country with the forces of bacchides who had returned to antioch but did not prevail so the king sent nicanor already experienced in this jewish war with a still larger army against judas the gallant maccabeus however gained a great victory and slew nicanor himself this battle gave another rest for a time to the afflicted land of judah meanwhile judas fearing that the syrian forces would ultimately overpower him sent an embassy to rome to invoke protection it was a long journey in those times a century and a half later it took st paul six months to make it the conquests of the romans were known throughout the east and better known than the policy they pursued of devouring the countries that sought their protection when it suited their convenience at this time 162 b c 
Italy was subdued, Spain had been added to the empire, Macedonia was conquered, Syria was threatened, and Carthage was soon to fall. The Senate was then the ruling power at Rome, and was in the height of its dignity, not controlled by either generals or demagogues. The Senate received with favor the Jewish ambassadors and promised their protection. Had Judas known what that protection meant, he would have been the last man to seek it. Nor did the Treaty of Alliance with Rome save Judea from the continued hostilities of Syria. Demetrius sent Bacchides with another army, which encamped against Jerusalem, where Judas had only eight hundred men to resist an army of twenty thousand foot and two thousand horse. We infer that his forces had dwindled away by perpetual contests. His heart of hope was now well-nigh broken, but his lion courage remained. Against the solicitation of his companions in war he resolved to fight gallantly and stubbornly contested the field from morning to night, and at last, hemmed in between two wings of the Syrian foe, fell in battle. The heroic career of Judas Maccabeus was ended. He had done marvelous things. He had for six years resisted and often defeated overwhelming forces. He had fought more battles than David. He had kept the enemy at bay while his prostrate country arose from the dust. He had put to flight and slain tens of thousands of the heathen, he had recovered and fortified Jerusalem, and restored the temple worship. He had trained his people to be warlike and heroic. At last he was slain only when his followers were scattered by successive calamities. He bore the brunt of six years' successful war against the most powerful monarchy in Asia, bent on the extermination of his countrymen. And amid all his labors he had kept the law, being revered for his virtues as much as for his heroism. Not a single crime sullied his glorious name. And when he fell at last, exhausted, the nation lamented him as David mourned for Jonathan, saying, How is the valiant fallen? A greater hero than he never adorned an age of heroism. Judas was not only a mighty captain, but a wise statesman. So revered that, according to Josephus, in his closing years he was made high priest also, thus uniting in his person both spiritual and temporal authority. It was a very small country that he ruled, but it is in small countries that genius is often most fully developed, either for war or for peace. We know but little of his private life. He had no time for what the world calls pleasures. His life was rough, full of dangers and embarrassments. His only aim seems to have been to shake off the Syrian yoke that oppressed his native land, to redeem the holy places of the nation from the pollutions of the obscene rites of heathenism and to restore the worship of Jehovah according to the consecrated ritual established in the Mosaic Law. The death of Judas was, of course, followed by great disorders and universal despondency. His mantle fell on his brother Jonathan, who became the leader of the scattered forces of the Jews. He also prevailed over Bacchides in several engagements, so that the Syrian leader returned to Antioch, and the Jews had rest for two years. Jonathan was now clothed with honor and dignity, wore a purple garment and other emblems of high rank, and was almost an acknowledged sovereign. He improved his opportunities and fortified Jerusalem. But his prosperous career was cut short by treachery. He was enticed by the Syrian general, even when he had an army of forty thousand men, so largely had the forces of Judea increased, into Ptolemais, with a few followers, under blandishing promises, and slain. Simon was now the only remaining son of Mattathias, and on him devolved the high priesthood as well as the executive duties of supreme ruler. He wisely devoted himself to the internal affairs of the state which he ruled. He fortified Joppa, the only part of Judea, reduced hostile cities, and made himself master of the famous fortress of Mount Zion, so long held in threatening vicinity by the Syrians, which he not only leveled with the ground, but also raised the summit of the hill on which it stood, so that it should no longer overlook the temple area. 
the temple became not only the sanctuary but also one of the strongest fortresses in the world at a later period it held out for some time against the army of titus even after jerusalem itself had fallen simon executed the laws with rigorous impartiality repaired the temple restored the sacred vessels and secured general peace order and security even the lands desolated by the wasting wars with several successive syrian monarchs again rejoiced in fertility every man sat under his own vine and fig tree in safety the friendly alliance with rome was renewed by a present to that greedy republic of a golden shield weighing one thousand pounds and worth fifty talents thus showing how much wealth had increased under judas and his brothers even the ambassadors of the syrian monarch were astonished at the splendor of simon's palace and at the riches of the temple again restored not in the glory of solomon but in a magnificence of which few temples could boast the pride once more of the now prosperous jews who had by their persistent bravery earned their independence in the year 143 B.C., the Jews began a new epoch in their history, after twenty-three years of almost incessant warfare. Yet Simon was destined, like his brothers, to end his days by violence. He, also, together with two of his sons, was treacherously murdered by his son-in-law Ptolemy, who aspired to the exalted offer of high priest, leaving his son John Hyrcanus to reign in his stead in the year 136 B.C. The rule of the Maccabees, the five sons of Mattathias, lasted thirty years. They were the founders of the Asmonean princes, who ruled both as kings and high priests. With the death of Simon, the last remaining son of Mattathias, this lecture properly should end. Yet a rapid glance at the Jewish nation under the rule of the Asmonean princes and the Idumean Herod may not be uninteresting. John Hyrcanus, the first of the Asmonean kings, was an able sovereign and reigned twenty-nine years he threw off the syrian yoke and the jewish kingdom maintained its independence until it fell under the roman sway his most memorable feat was the destruction of the samaritan temple on mount gerizim which had been an eyesore to the people of jerusalem for two hundred years he then subdued idumea and compelled the people of that country to adopt the jewish religion he maintained a strict alliance with the romans and became master of samaria and of galilee which were incorporated with his kingdom so that the ancient limits of the kingdom of David were nearly restored. He built the castle of Baris on a rock within the fortifications that surrounded the hill of the temple, which afterward was known as the Tower of Antonia. On his death, 105 B.C., Hyrcanus was succeeded by his son Aristobulus, a weak and wicked prince who assassinated his brother and starved to death his mother in a dungeon. The next king of the Asmonean line, Alexander Jananaeus, was brave but unsuccessful, and died after an unquiet and turbulent reign of twenty-seven years, 77 B.C. His widow, Alexandra, ruled as a regent with great tact and energy for nine years, and was succeeded by her son, Hyrcanus II. This feeble and unfortunate prince had to contend with the intrigues and violence of his more able but unscrupulous brother, Aristobulus, who sought to steal his scepter and who at one time even drove him from his kingdom. Hyrcanus put himself under the protection of the Romans. They came as arbiters, they remained as masters. It was when Judea was under the nominal rule of Hyrcanus II, driven hither and thither by his enemies, and when his capital was in their hands, that Pompey, triumphant over the armies of the east, took Jerusalem after a desperate resistance, entered the temple, and even penetrated to the Holy of Holies. To his credit he left untouched the treasures accumulated in the temple, but he demolished the walls of the city and imposed a tribute. 
Judea was now virtually under the dominion of the Romans, although the sovereignty of Hyrcanus was not completely taken away. On the fall of Pompeii, Crassus, the triumvir, plundered the temple of ten thousand talents, as was estimated, and the fate of Judea, during the memorable civil war of which Caesar was the hero and victor, hung in trembling suspense. I will not enumerate the contentions, the deeds of violence, the acts of treachery, and the strife of rival parties which marked the tumultuous period in Judea while Caesar and Pompey were contending for the sovereignty of the world. These came to an end at last by the dethronement of the last of the Asmonean princes and the accession of the Idumean Herod by the aid of Antony, 40 B.C. Herod, called the Great, was the last independent sovereign of Palestine. He was the son of Antipater, a noble Idumean, who had ingratiated himself in the favor of Hyrcanus II, high priest and sovereign, and who ruled as the prime minister of this feeble and incapable prince. By rendering some service to Caesar, Antipater was made procurer of Judea, and appointed his son Herod to the government of Galilee, where he developed remarkable administrative talents. Soon after, he was raised by Sextus Caesar to the military command of Colsyria. After the battle of Philippi, Herod secured the favor of Antony by an enormous bribe, as he had that of Cassius on the death of Caesar, and was made one of the tetrarchs of the province. In the meantime, his father Alexander was poisoned at Jerusalem, and Antigonus, son of Aristobulus, who had gained ascendancy, cut off the ears of Hyrcanus, and not only deprived him of the office of high priest, but usurped his authority. Herod himself proceeded to Rome and was successful in his intrigues, being by the favor of Antony made king of Judea. But a severe contest was before him, since Antigonus was resolved to defend his crown. With the aid of the Romans, Herod, after a war of three years, subdued his rival and put him to death, together with every member of the Sanhedrin but two. His power was cemented by his marriage to Mariamne, the beautiful sister of Aristobulus, whom he made high priest. The Asmonean princes were now, by the death of Antigonus, reduced to Aristobulus and the aged Hyrcanus, both of whom were murdered by the suspicious tyrant who had triumphed over so many enemies. In a fit of jealousy, Herod even caused the execution of his beautiful wife, whom he passionately loved, as he had already destroyed her grandfather, father, brother, and uncle. Supported by Augustus, whom he had managed to conciliate after the death of Antony, Herod reigned with undisputed authority over even an increase of territory. He doubtless reigned with a great ability, tyrant and murderer as he was, and detested by the Jews as an Idumean. He reigned in a state of magnificence unknown to the Asmonean princes. He built a new and magnificent palace on the hill of Zion, and rebuilt the fortress of Barus, which he called Antonia, in honor of his friend and patron, Antony. He also erected strong citadels in different cities of his kingdom, and rebuilt Samaria. He founded Caesarea, and colonized it with Greeks, so that it became a great maritime city, rivaling Tyre in magnificence and strength. But Herod's greatest work, by which he hoped to ingratiate himself in the favor of the Jews, was the rebuilding of the temple on a scale of unexampled magnificence. He was also very liberal in the distribution of corn during a severe famine. He was in such high favor with Augustus by his presence and his devotion to the imperial interests, that next to Agrippa he was the emperor's greatest favorite. His two sons, by Mariamne, were educated at Rome with great care, and were lodged in the palace of the emperor. Herod's latter days, however, were clouded by the intrigues of his court, by treasons and conspiracies, in consequence of which his sons, favorites with the people on account of their accomplishments and their Aspinian blood, were executed by the suspicious and savage despot. 
Antipater, another son by his first wife, whom he had chosen as his successor, conspired against his life, and the proof of his guilt was so clear that he also was summarily executed. In addition to these troubles, Herod was tormented by remorse for the execution of the murdered Mariamne. He was the victim of jealousy, suspicion, and wrath. One of his last acts was the order to destroy the infants in the vicinity of Jerusalem in the vain hope of destroying the predicted Messiah, him who should be born king of the Jews. He died of a loathsome and excruciating disease in his seventieth year, having reigned nearly forty years. His kingdom, by his will, was divided between the children of his later wife, a Samaritan woman, the eldest of whom, Archelaus, became monarch of Judea, and the second, Antipas, became tetrarch of Galilee. The former married the widow of his half-brother Alexander, who was executed, and the latter married Herodias, wife of Philip, also his half-brother. Archelaus ruled Judea with such injustice and cruelty that after nine years he was summoned to Rome and exiled to Vienne in Gaul, and Judea became a Roman province under the prefecture of Syria. The supreme judicial authority was exercised by the Jewish Sanhedrin, the great ecclesiastical and civil council, composed of seventy-one persons, presided over by the high priest. The Sanhedrin, under the name of chief priests, scribes, and elders of the people, now took the lead in all public transactions pertaining to the internal administration of the province, being inferior only to the tribunal of the governor, who resided in Caesarea. Meanwhile, the long expectation of the Jews, especially during the reign of Herod, of a promised deliverer was fulfilled, and one claiming to be the Messiah appeared, not a temporal prince and a mighty hero of war, a greater Judas Maccabeus, as the Jews had supposed, but a helpless infant, born in a manger, brought up as a peasant carpenter. Yet he it was who should found a spiritual kingdom never to be destroyed, going on from conquering to conquer, until the whole world shall be subdued. With the advent of Jesus of Nazareth, in which we see the fulfillment of all the promises made to the chosen people from Abraham to Isaiah, Jewish history loses its chief interest. The mission of the Hebrew nation seems to stand accomplished. The conception of one holy spiritual God was kept alive in the world until, in the fullness of time, the mighty Romans subdued and united all lands under one rule, drawing them nearer together by great high roads. The flexible Greek language gave all peoples a common tongue, in which already the Hebrew scriptures had been familiarized among scholars. The life and teachings of Jesus entered with vital power into the heart and brain of those devoted followers who recognized him as the Christ, the revelator of the universal fatherhood of the one true God, and thenceforward Christianity becomes the great spiritual power of the world. End of section 21